Welcome to the Seasons of Sobriety podcast. This is a podcast where you can join in the journey of other recovering alcoholics and addicts. You'll be on the road with them as you listen to how each person came into recovery and how they persevered through times of anger, sadness, fear, and joy. I'm your host, Howard M. I'm here to share my own experience as well as the experience of other recovering brothers and sisters. I am so grateful you have decided to join me today. This episode features Andy H. from Montclair, New Jersey. Andy has been sober since October 28, 2003. Some of the valuable takeaways in Andy's story are the following. Every problem has been definitional for him. He says he had the wrong definition of what to do. He learned that resentments from early childhood were lingering into adulthood and affecting success in the workplace and eventually his financial security. His long battle with giving up cigarettes and the spiritual awakening that came along with this discovery. He likes to say his wisdom comes as the result of the awful grace of God. Here now is my interview with Andy H. I have with me, I would like to welcome Andy H. from Montclair, New Jersey. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Howard. Good to be here. I would like you to uh, start us off uh, back in... um, we're talking October 2003 because you got sober October 28, 2003. And if you can go back to maybe October or even September, what was going on there and how you began to get the idea that I'm going to start going to AA. Uh, this is perfect. Thank you. Uh, and what a great opportunity, Howard. Thanks so much. Um, so unfortunately, it was year 10 for me in terms of my... Um, uh, uh, knowing that I needed to go to AA, right? Mm-hmm. So I in 93, I went to rehab. I got sober in notes, you know? So I, uh-huh. I usually have a lot of at least empathy towards guys that go in and out having, <laughs> having been a guy. And I spent some time in that, in that period of the nineties, uh, I did spend, um, you know, probably almost four years at one point without drinking, uh, but without any knowledge whatsoever of what sobriety was. And, what I what what I couldn't figure out was, you know, come. In, I was in the World Trade Center when the planes hit in two thousand and one, mm-hmm. and and so, um, you know, something really interesting happened after that. I uh, and 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 by the way, uh, uh, you know, for me to use this as an excuse is is despicable, you know. But so I'm not using it as an excuse. But I will say that I remember thinking. I should just start drinking because life's not that long. Mm. And what an excuse for an alcoholic. You know, it's really despicable. I lost seven, you know, seven people I know, and that's probably not what they would have thought, you know. And so, mm. but but anyway, the last two years before I got sober, uh, after 9-11, um, were, were, you know, everything that you guys told me in the first 10 years was going to happen that I didn't think was going to happen because that was for you losers, not me. (laughs) Everything you told me about window shade psychology and steps and promises and traditions, that nonsense was all for you guys, not for me. And so unfortunately in those last two years, I got, uh, I, I visited so many, uh, I nevers. I visited so many mm. things that I just never thought would happen. The drinking in the morning, three days at a clip, uh, hold up in hotel rooms, uh, you know, just just complete and utter insanity where, um, you know, looking back on it, I'm so fascinated by what I was um, capable of, 
what I was mm. willing to think was remotely acceptable. Mm -hmm. And and it was acceptable to no one in the world except me. <laughs> and so uh, so it, it, it was getting worse. It was getting worse. I had started by just drinking on the road. I was a salesman. So I was able to, to, to play this phony illusory game, which is, you know, a big part of my story, the illusion um, of uh, I'm home and I don't drink and I'm on the road and I do drink, you know. And so if you if you think about that, Howard, if that was you, what you would probably do if you give it a little thought is you'd probably start spending more time on the, on road, the road. Of course, because right? that's where, that's where the that's drinking. Where drink. yeah. So I became a traveling madman. Mm. And um, anyway, um, it was, uh, you know, it, 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 it got to the point where where where. It, it was so uncontrollable. I was so concerned about my actions. I was in hotel rooms and not showing up for three days. My wife was calling people. Hotels were taking the hinges off of doors to come in and get me. Mm. Hey, people are looking for you. You know, the Westin on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. I was like, I remember a, a security guard. I woke up and he had me by the big toe and he was shaking my big toe. And I woke up <laughs> and I'm like, and I remember saying, what are you doing here? I'm platinum. Like, uh -huh. I'm platinum. Like, cause I stay there so often. And the guy said, you got to go. People are looking for you. Mm. And I got downstairs and they said, you're not welcome here anymore. <laughs> so it was, uh, things had spiraled out of control and, and, uh, you know, the very, very end, uh, the very end I had taken my wife and my daughter to see my son. My son was a freshman at in in college in massachusetts mm -hmm. and uh so it was parents weekend mm -hmm. and uh i took him up there and um there was a conference in boston and i decided when we were done with our parents weekend i'd send my wife and daughter home and i'd go to the conference in boston and to give you an idea uh the depths i i i wound up three days at the conference without leaving my hotel room I have no idea when the conference started or ended because I didn't go to any conference, but I was in the hotel where the conference was and um, Weston Copley Square, Boston. And uh, and so when it ended, I was supposed to go to, 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 to New Orleans or, or Baton Rouge. I couldn't get there. I made it to Atlanta. I lost my bag. I couldn't get on my flight. They 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 stopped me from getting the connector because I was too drunk. Um, then I missed the next one. I wound up in a hotel. I went out for liquor at the Atlanta airport. And when I got back to the hotel, I which I forgot which hotel was mine. So I checked into another hotel while all my stuff was in the other hotel. You know, just really crazy, crazy stuff. And so anyway, I, I do remember very well. I got I finally got back to New York, Newark. I thought I'd check into that Sheraton Marriott in the parking lot at Newark Airport mm -hmm. one last night. And uh, and I, I, I and and I am platinum. You are platinum. <laughs> you didn't yeah, lose your platinum. status, not and, yet. Uh, yes, I am platinum. And so I uh, I walked in. I said, "Let me just hit the bar first, and then I'll check in." I walked in the bar, and the bartender said, "No." So I didn't look good. I'd mm -hmm. been on the road for a while here. This has been the this was five days. And so I said, "Wow, I just got flagged from the bar. I mean, how bad am I?" I went to check in at the front desk and they said, you're not welcome here. Wow. So I was, 
I was in bad shape and I didn't know it. Anyway, I, I did make it home. And I will tell you, Howard, that the next morning, um, you know, I, I, I uttered the words that changed my life, which uh, I got up and my wife said, sharp bags were packed. She wanted to leave. Uh-huh. Poor woman was a hostage. But uh, she said, hey, what do you want? You know, I'll look for a rehab for you. I mean, do you want to stop drinking? And I remember looking at her and saying, I couldn't even get the words out. I said, I want to be somebody else. Mm. And as the words left my mouth, I almost wanted to grab him and put him back in because I realized right then and there how much I had been blaming my using and how much I had been relying on my alcohol to excuse everything in my life. Mm. And I'm a fine guy. I just drink too much. I'm actually a smart guy. I just drink too much. And I uttered the words, I want to be somebody else. And I, it, it just shattered everything. It wrecked everything. It wrecked everything for me. And, uh, you know, I went to Summit Hospital that mm-hmm. afternoon you know, um, for two and a half days. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm one of those guys that finally gets struck by lightning, not a white light experience, but the obsession that morning while she was making those phone calls, I went out my front door. I said to her, it was eight 30 in the morning. I said, must've been 10 to nine in the morning. I said to her, um, Hey, the cell service is no good. I'm stepping outside to make a phone call. Now this is all a lie. The cell service is no different outside than inside. I lived in Bloomfield, New Jersey, 10 miles from Manhattan. Anyway, um, buy right liquor is about a half a mile down the road. And I figured I bet I could run and get there when they open and get some airline bottles and get back. And she'll never even know. She'll think I was outside making a phone call. She's online trying to find me a rehab. This is O3. So it's, you know, not a quick operation. But anyway, I did that. I, Howard, I ran down Wachong Avenue in Bloomfield and I got there and the guy was opening up and I, they had an awning. And they had that metal thing that you twist to get mm-hmm. the awning. To come. And I took it out of his hands and I said, you get the door, I'll get the awning. And I remember the DeCamp bus going to New York, the commuter bus is passing me by. And I can think of people looking out the window saying, hey, there's Andy H. opening the awning at Byright Lake. Look at him helping out. What a good Samaritan. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I wound up in, in, in uh, detox uh, that day and I came out and I went to AA. And that, so, so that, you know, that. That's what, you know, there was a lot to get me there, but that's, you know, I never had another drink again uh, from that day forward. And that was, you know, I'm in my 18th year. So it was, uh, you know, 17 and a half years ago. Right. And you were what, uh, 36 at this time? or I was 40. 40? And I had had... just turned 40. I'm 57. Okay. And you had, uh, uh, what, 18-year-old kid at this point? And... So, or, so my son, um, my son was 20. Okay. He was born when I was 20. Uh, he was a sophomore. Let's see. He was a freshman. Must've been, uh, he must've been a sophomore. Must've been, it was, it was, uh, parents weekend, sophomore year. Okay, so he's a it. sophomore uh, up at Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. My daughter was, um, probably around sixth grade. They're eight years apart. So probably around okay. sixth grade. 
Gotcha. Seventh grade. So yeah. she was still home. He was still, he was away, but you know, this was a, yeah. again, another life shift for you at 40, at 40. And, uh, oh, it was a violent one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the 20 years before, which was a lifetime, um, you know, I had spent, um, somewhat unconscious of, of, mm-hmm. of life and of other people and of, everything except me <laughs> yeah I, I like to call it painfully aloof you know yeah yeah it, it, I, I say to responses all the time ignorance is not blessed no, no ignorance is ignorance yeah could you could you share with us you had said that you had gone to a depth here and there that you never thought could you just share one where you like i went this far and never thought it would happen to me because just for folks who are perhaps in a similar position, listening, listening right now saying, well, like what, what happened, you know, after you went back out. So could you give us like one, one thing that really stands out? Uh, you know, one horrible story. Well, just one, like you said, I, I did something, I, you know, part of the yet. So I did something that, oh, I never thought I'd do. Like just, you'd mentioned that. So just do like one or one or two things. I, I don't want a whole yeah. big, you know, long story, but maybe. If you have one or two things. Yeah, no, I'll just give you an example because it happened a number of times in that last year. Was, you know, I, I remember I have an identical twin brother. Uh-huh. Okay. And and I have a bunch of brothers and a father. And, and a lot of my siblings and, and, and uh, my father are sober. Uh-huh. And uh, But I was the last one, which, you know, we, how we can get into how lousy Christmas is when you're the only guy in your family using drink. Okay. <laughs> but, but, uh, you have to drink airline bottles in the bathroom, by the yeah. way, if you were wondering. But <laughs> a- anyway, um, I remember watching my twin brother the first time he stayed at my house and he drank in the morning. I remember gasping, saying, that's, that's out of control, man. Yeah. That is that's that is not right. And I remember that it wasn't soon thereafter after that that I was okay with that. But at the, the very end, Howard, that last year, I can remember going to a liquor store and buying hard liquor, preferably brown, but I wasn't, uh, I didn't look for labels. I wasn't, I didn't care. And I would drink it warm and in a glass and as fast as I can, almost to get the sweat going in the back of my neck. Cause I wanted to go to sleep. Mm. I wanted to pass out. So it wasn't a lot of fun, but I would do that early in the morning on the road to kill the rest of the day. Mm. And, and what was so fascinating was as bad as things got at night, because once you do that in the morning, you'll do that again later in the day, however many times you wake up. And what was so fascinating was as bad as things were, when I woke up the next morning, there would always be a tiny bit in the bottom of the bottle. And I learned that no matter how bad I was, I always planned for tomorrow. Cause once you take one sip, you burn the day mm. and now you can say, I'll stop tomorrow. Nice. And so even if it's six 30 in the morning, you can, you can take a whole day out with one little sip and I would actually leave myself that sip. So there was things that I was doing in terms of drinking. Yes. Drinking in my car, you know, letting down kids, letting down my wife, letting down my career, uh, 86,000 in credit card debt houses in foreclosure. I mean, I had all the, mm-hmm. all the things that I never thought would happen. I did all, this. but it was the things that I did by myself that were scary. Uh, okay. You know? Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate you opening that up a little bit. Uh, so you come into the program and you're, you kind of know so, some of what's going on because you've been sober before and you're starting to look around and perhaps for a new sponsor. I'm guessing uh, you, you've decided to not uh, use your same sponsor anymore. And, and what's that like for you kind of starting new, but not being new? Let's talk about that a little bit. So, so, you know, you, you had said in the question that I had been sober before, and I, I can honestly say for my own self and my own definition, I had not used before, but I had no idea what being sober was. Uh-huh. So I did have bouts. I did go to AA. Um, I did, you know, if you put a gun to my head, Howard, after being at AA for four years and you said, I'll give you a million dollars if you tell me what step six is, <laughs> I'd say step six is for losers. Why would I care? And so I, I was never really sober, but I will tell you, it's funny you ask that because I was just at an estate sale. Okay. And when I came in, there was this guy, Ray. And uh, Ray S. from Montclair. And Ray S. was this uh, really interesting cat. Uh, he was a, 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 a produced commercials and uh, Korean War vet, and, uh, um, gold glove boxer from Brooklyn, but but a accomplished guitar player who Les Paul was his best friend. Okay. He was really a funny guy. Okay. And he was a wonderfully humble man. Anyway, I just found a book and <laughs> Ray passed away this year. So I'm um, mm-hmm. so uh, 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 April. So I am giving up his enemy by showing the book. I won't say his name, but it's his because he wrote this book with a New York giant about the rules of football. Okay. They met in a bar and were talking about getting their girlfriends to better understand the game so they could enjoy it on Sundays. (laughs) Swear swear to God. And so Ray S. was my first sponsor. And I'll tell you what, Howard, the reason he didn't last, I just got this book for Mm -hmm. a quarter the other day. The reason he didn't last was not because he wasn't so good. The reason he didn't last is because he was really good. And the first time I went to his house, I was probably 36 days sober. He was retired. And I remember him taking a deep breath. He had the book open. He folded the book, closed his eyes, took a deep breath. And he said, I love this program. I love everything about this program. And Howard, if the window was open, I would have jumped out. I was terrified. I was like, no, man, I did not sign up for this. And I came to not only respect Ray, love Ray. He wasn't my sponsor anymore, but you know, he was right. And I do love the program, but, but he was my first sponsor, but I knew I needed somebody serious. And so I found another guy um, who was an accountant, which was very important to me because I had to file 10 years, Howard, I hadn't filed in 10 years. Mm. Uh, so I needed an accountant sponsor. But I, what I was looking for was a guy that was around for a long time, went to all the meetings, knew all the steps. You know, I needed a I don't want to say a father figure, but I needed somebody that knew the program that wasn't going to let me get away with my, my nonsense. I needed somebody I didn't like in a way. Hmm. And, uh, and, and so, uh, I, so I found him my first one, uh, and, and, and he was wonderful and he helped me tremendously, uh, Frank, um, Frank V and, um, then we went through the steps, uh, for the first time in my life. Mm. Um, 
And, uh, and, and so I was looking for, um, you know, not somebody to save me, but I was looking for somebody I would admire, hmm. you know, and I was, and I looked around the room and I, and really, I just said, I want to be like him. So I'm going to choose him. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and that's what I did. Yeah. Sometimes having someone to follow is very important and until you do find someone and who you have the respect for and and really ready to to do something other than what you've been doing it's 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 difficult and, and uh you know I'm, I'm really glad you found someone i think a lot of people struggle with you know what's a good sponsor what's it uh, find someone you can follow uh and and follow closely really yeah yeah and and i've learned over the years that um you know there's probably a million guys that would have been fine for me at that time because i literally was finally ready you mm -hmm. know and that's not to say that anybody can be a great sponsor maybe they can but i have found that uh i've had many sponsees i've had a real gift and and the ones that want to get sober they get sober despite my every effort or because of my every effort i have no idea i don't know and i just know that if they were anything like me if they're ready they'll listen and if they're not they won't mm, exactly yeah you no know? and that was me you know and so i was willing to listen and um i got you know i, I wound up with a, a a third sponsor that that sponsor's wife got cancer we stopped coming to the meetings and uh and so i i had to go in another direction and I, i'm so grateful to have picked up different things from different people um uh, and, and, and the differences, and I've been able to learn so much from so many different people. And to be honest with you, I've learned more from people that were not my sponsor over time, mm -hmm. uh, just because I go to meetings with sure. a lot of the same people. Uh, and, uh, but most importantly, I have learned much more about the program as a sponsor than as a sponsor. Yeah, that's for sure. Same here. Yeah. So when you came in, how was your uh, feeling about the second step? Where were you with when it came to a relationship with God, Can you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I did really have a gift in the manner in which I came in to say that I wasn't going to fight one anymore, you know, yeah. powerless and, um, you know, unmanageable, everything about me was unmanageable. Uh, powerlessness was something I still didn't appropriately define probably, but but what, what happened was at that summit hospital that I went to, you know, Fair Oaks, as we all know in this mm -hmm. area, uh, um, I was there with 24 people and two of us were alcoholics, the rest of them were there for pills, which was fine. It was just new for me because, you know, I hadn't been, uh, I didn't realize how much that had taken over. But um, so I asked for a big book while I was there and the guy who was working loaned me his because they didn't have any big books. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was just a de detox, uh, but um, uh, but I remember when I got out, they wanted, to, uh, we, are you going to rehab? I said, I'm not going to go to rehab. I'm going to go to AA. And they said, well, you should go to rehab. You should go to IOP. You should, and, and all those things are good points. But I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been to AA and I've seen AA work for a bunch of other people. Why can't it work for me? And so... They said, okay, well, we think you should stay in touch with us, whatever. And I was like, great. They gave me 18 pieces of paper when I checked out about what I should be doing, what I was doing, what meds I yeah. was on, 
insurance stuff. They were different colors. It was orange ones and red ones, and they were legal size. And so I had all this paper and I went home to my house and, you know, my shame and regret knapsack being very heavy, walked into my house and I sat up on my bed in my bedroom and I opened up my, uh, you know, my bag that I brought my stuff and I pulled this paperwork out and I looked at the paperwork and at the bottom of every page, it said Summit Hospital Mm -hmm. and the address, I think it's on Prospect. And underneath there were the words, this is a mental health facility. This is a mental health facility. I'm like, hold on, check the next page. Also a mental health facility. Every page said this is a mental health facility, Howard. So I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I thought I went there for booze, but it turns out that I have a mental health problem. And so long answer to your question, I embraced the insanity Uh that would require even though I wasn't fighting a higher power, it would require a much more conscious effort on my part to embrace the insanity. I could not deny that I was in a mental health facility. Mm. I'm not sane. The, the, the step says for me to be sane, I need to come to believe. Okay. I hadn't been fighting in any way. I ate it whole and said, fine, I'm in. Count me in. You know, so one and two, you know, whatever my prior historical childhood religious bringing, you know, I have a brother who's an artist. He once did a painting for my mother while he was in college um, of uh, of, uh, Jesus. And he had it framed and sent to her while he was in college. And me and my twin brother came home drunk from because we're in college now and we're eating dinner. And my brother turned my mom and said, Mom. Why do you have a picture of Bob Marley on the wall? So for me, God was really Bob Marley, <laughs> Bob Marley for a long time. And, and I'm still okay with Jesus, with, with, with God as Bob Marley. My point is, uh, I don't fight whatsoever what someone's concept of a higher power would be. I have a sponsee. I gave him a crayon and a pad recently and said, draw your own God mm. and leave me out of it. Stop complaining to other people about your God. You were invited to create the one that you need to help you. Stop trying to fight it. It's yours. And I've embraced that. I need it. I was insane. I still have that mental illness arrested because I address it. But, uh, you know, one and two came very, very easily for me, Howard. I was very fortunate. Nice. Very nice. Okay. And, and so let's talk a little bit about your inventory process, uh, as you're doing the four step and, you know, we, we, we all know about the columns and different ways of doing it. And, uh, what, uh, as you were doing the four step, what did you start to feel that first time, you know, really getting into it and getting the inventory process? Can you, can you talk a little bit about what, what it was like doing that for the first time? Um, yeah, I mean, The, the first time that I did four right after really the first time that I did three, I was doing them to the best of my ability, which in hindsight wasn't a real lot of aptitude, right? I mean, I, I, I you know, 
One of the books that I like about A is a book called 12, which talks about a guy who writes about his experience with the steps after seven years, seven years later, and how it's changed. And it's so important to me because things have changed so much for me. So your question about the first time, the first time it was enlightening. It was, um, I thought I did three. I give it all to you. And so I was ready to for four. And I did a very good uh, list of uh, it, the, the beginning of my step four was very good. And I really didn't need to change that ever again mm-hmm. in terms of creating the list. Uh, I was told to write down the uh, names of anybody I could remember. And so the logistical part, as you just spoke of the list that, that I, I did pretty, you know, I was pretty proud. It was sort of like finishing a paper in high school. You know, I was like, look, I did this. Okay. I, I sat down, I did the time. And I've even come up with some things. And and my um, my experience was that <clears throat> it was after I did four five, and that sponsor was six seven in three seconds. And hey, you're on eight. And that's when he stepped out because his wife got cancer. And that's when right. I started swimming on my own for a while, which was very dangerous. Um, but that's when I picked up a bunch of other books and started reading them. And when I first read Drop the Rock and understood it, I went re- back and redid four and five because I didn't know why I was doing them. Hmm. I thought I was doing four and five to tell you I stole a car from, you know, Giant Stadium, you know, as yeah. if that mattered, like you cared. I didn't know I was doing it to identify the patterns in my life that I was going to, you know, that I was going to want gone and that I was going to have to be, uh, um, a person that I wanted to be enough to ask to have it gone. Mm. And so I hadn't really looked at four and five in the context of the patterns of behavior that were needed for an appropriate six and seven. I had done them originally to be done with them. And it wasn't the sponsor's fault. I didn't understand. You know, so many, it's so funny. Like read the book now. I'm like this book. You everybody should read this book so they can understand the big book. Well, some people just understand it, Andy, you know. Uh, you know, I didn't, and so I needed to. I needed supplemental reading to understand the text, and and so my original. Your question is, you know, my initial, my initial. I did three. I thought I had done it. I did four. I had thought I had done it. I certainly, when I did five, I didn't hold anything back. Um, and then I went on a retreat. I had no sponsor. I read this book and I said, oh, my God, I, I, I didn't know why I was doing this. I need to go back and redo it. Mm-hmm. And I took my time and I did. And that's when my white light experience in AA was when I went back and I identified some patterns and some things in my life that I wanted removed that I had no idea the weight and the burden that they had been. And, and I mean, Howard, more than anything, you know, one through three, get right with God, four through seven, get right with yourself. That was my problem, the right with yourself. Of course, I was never going to get right with others in, in eight, nine, and 10 until I, I got right with myself. And I didn't even know after first doing these steps that I was here to get right with myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, until I I started doing that reading in those exercises. Yeah, yeah. I I recall for myself a similar experience when, you know, from 1998 to about 2005, I kept 
losing my job or getting fired. Really, it's a, the, the proper way to say it is what happened. Uh, oh, I got laid off. You know, asking myself, so you're, you think you're behaving as a sober, decent, you know, principled man. And so you keep getting fired from your job because uh, they're, they're not downsizing. They're just getting rid of you. So what, what is, you know, what are you doing to make yourself unwelcome at these places? And, and again, you know, doing a little more searching and realizing that having to let go of some of our grosser handicaps, right? Like it says, and, and again, going back and, oh, so this was the fourth step should have gotten me to this point. And cause I, I like you, I did it for homework. Okay. I got my homework. So handed to my sponsor. We do it. It was all homework to me cause I got sober at, you know, 21 and I'm in college. And so all the assignments, that's what I call them, was homework to me. And I did it so that you knew I did the homework. And so what's my grade? You know, and there is no grade. It's it's your life. Uh, and and as you described, it's nice to finally get the maturity, you know, over the years to say, okay, now I'm going to go do a real inventory. Uh, but, but again, the first one was, was homework, like you said. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. <clears throat> I'm a guy who thinks a library card is a burden, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm the only one that can benefit from, from this exercise. Why do I care about, like you and I just talked about homework? Homework is for the, was something you had to give a teacher. I yep. never looked at homework like it was something for me. Nope. You know? And so, uh, Howard, if somebody were to ask me, Andy, what has been the biggest problem in your life? I would say, the biggest problems in my life have been definitional. I have the wrong definition of almost yeah. everything, mm -hmm. you know, starting with, you know, inventory. I mean, why, uh, you know, identifying character defects. Why, you know, yeah. uh, you know, heck probably the biggest word I've, I've had a poor definition of my whole life is success. Howard. Yeah. And, and, and it's amazing what I found in four, when I, when I did it the first time and I started writing down these names, my sponsor was like, write down names. Everybody you remember first, second and third grade. Right. And I'm like, really? <laughs> right. So, so I started thinking, and I think of these two names and, uh, you know, wonderful, normal guys. We, we had moved to Homedale when I was, uh, seven, we built a house, nice an acre, you know, woo. We mm -hmm. came out of Hazlitt Five boys born in five years. We're in three bedrooms. Oy. Anyway, we get there. And I remember, like, uh, I said, all right, think of somebody from second grade. Larry S. I write his name down. Okay. Think of somebody from third grade. Leo Y. I write his name down. And later on, I look at it. And I'm like, well, why are these guys on the list? These guys were normal, nice guys. They were, mm -hmm. they were normal people, right? And so I'm like, well, what do you remember about Larry? He invited me to my to his birthday party when he turned seven in second grade. And it was the first one I went to in my new school because we had just moved there. Mm -hmm. I'm confident his mother made him invite everybody in the class. Sure. And I remember they had those things in the gutters because I had never bowled before. Our family didn't have money. We didn't go to bowling. We didn't get pizza. We didn't go to McDonald's. We didn't do stuff like that. We were five, five six kids born in seven years. You know, my mother didn't have a license. You know, we weren't. You know, anyway, and and I'm like, yeah, I mean, he took me to a bowling party. It's like I remember I was fascinated. Like other kids in my class could bowl. I had never bowled. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. What, you know, I was up there, you know, with the ball underneath like Rick Barry with a bowling ball. And uh, um, 
you know, and, and, and then, and then, okay, what about Leo? And we're talking about the kid in third grade. I'm like, well, Leo, Leo was great. He had plaid shirts with pockets. He had a belt. He had a three prong belt. He had corduroy pants. He was this complete nerd. But, and I, and I'm like, okay, so what about these things? Number one, Larry asked, well, it's never going to be a birthday party for me. I'm certainly never going to hit bowling. Number mm-hmm. one. Number two, Leo, he had a collared shirt and a belt. I didn't own those things. Right. And I didn't realize how much envy, financial fear. Uh, I didn't realize how it started manifesting itself at such an early age that these were. And so those two little things, which I know, I know we're in AA here and I don't want to get too deep, but those helped me understand why I was getting fired later on. Like you just said, like, wow, what have I turned this into, you know? And, uh, those, that exercise, uh, that re- that inventory exercise when I did it right, mm. that was the difference. Just mm. that six, seven, eight, nine. When I was finally able to do those things, you know, I, I was finally get to able to get to the promises because I got to the promises. Mm. Okay. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little eye opening when so it's a, so it helps you open up to the point where so I've been pissed off since second grade. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a long time, right? That's some resentment you harbor. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. something they didn't do. It was yeah. just, no, I, no I, they had and I didn't and I, I, I just stayed pissed off. It was yeah. easier. It was just easier, yeah. right? Um, it was easier than looking at myself and identifying, sure. you know. You know. When, when I saw that, it might be Rami, one of the books I read where step three is the radical disruption of the illusion I've spent a lifetime creating. Mm. You know, I'll never forget that definition because nothing was more true for me. This radical disruption, I had to blow up everything because everything I thought was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was all an illusion designed to uh, continue to excuse what I had created which was, you know, based on vapor, nothing. Mm. I was, I was a mile wide and half an inch deep. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I do. Yeah. No, I, 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 it's kind of funny on step six where it says, uh, this is the step in the 12 and 12 that separates the men from the boys. I remember reading that and getting a lump in my throat because when I came here, I said to myself, you know what I'd like to get out of this? I'd like to be a man. Mm-hmm. You know? And so here I was, I had been a member of the New York Stock Exchange, the MX, the Comex, big Mr. Wall Street. I had a son. I coached soccer. I took up collection in church. You know, I'm a, I had never felt like a man whatsoever, not even remotely. I was a complete con artist, untrustworthy. Never felt like a man whatsoever. And I remember reading that in step six, separates the men from the boys. I remember thinking, I guess, I guess I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, I, sometimes as you described, you know, I moved from this guy of being a complete facade to a guy who was genuine and authentic. Cause that's all I wanted to be. I was you know, tired of living this, this masquerade of a guy that I thought a man was supposed to be. And like you said, through, through six and seven, becoming someone to, to be grown up and, and accountable and, and a part of society instead of taking from society, you know, adding to society. 
was, uh, you know, that that's, I, I love when someone says, you know, the new definition of insanity for me is having all the steps at my disposal and deciding not to work them. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, that, yep, I did that. You know, I got to that level of insanity. The idea of, you know, the, uh, you know, religion and, and spirituality and trying to figure out the difference. Uh, you know, that was something that uh, I, you know, religion became this idea where man proved to God uh, how, how good man was, you know. And, and someone says, you know, spirituality is, is me as a man allowing God to show how good God is, you know. And that's the piece that I kept missing is, you know, this well, how do I prove myself? How do I, no, 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 no. You, 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 you bring in stuff so that you know that there's decent people out there to help you with things, you know, that when you fall, they'll catch you. Uh, and just this total lack of trust that, uh, in, in, in society and people and, uh, like, like you just not knowing what direction to, to go in. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I was, I had the good fortune of having a mother who, uh, you know, I had a great concept of her God, you know, and, and, and she, she invited us, you know, to participate. Uh, you know, I looked at it like it was being forced on us and I looked at it like religion and God were the same thing. And, you know, the sacraments, again, everything's a burden, right? Everything's a burden. And, um, you know, I never put together the concept of, you know, humble human humus being loaded to the earth and the concept of, of humility and having a higher power in your life together. I, I, you know, how I could consider myself an intelligent man and, and be so ignorant is fascinating to me. Hmm. And, and all I could think of is I'm willing to tell myself anything to continue to do what I want to do. And, um, and so it, it's such a freedom to have a, a higher power in your life that doesn't have to, um, you know, that I, that doesn't have to have any uh, precepts. It doesn't have to have any, um, when I say there's no rules, I mean, the rules are the steps of the program. That's the principles of my life uh, I'm supposed to live by. But the idea that it's not this uh, punishing God, it's not right. this, it's, you know, it's not even the same God that I, I wanted my children to get. I want them to find their own. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I saw this priest and um, I, when I came in in 93, I was a mess. I went to my twin brother. He was sober. I said, I need help. We're in Dobbs Ferry, New York. He goes, what do you want? I was crying. I was a mess. I go, I need help. He goes, what do you want? I go, I, ne I need to see a priest. He goes, why? I go, I don't know. And I didn't know. Anyway. So he goes, all right. He called me back. He goes, I got a priest up here. He's in Yonkers. Come on up. I went up. He brought me to the priest. I walked in. I'm talking to the priest. Big guy, smoking, hand over his face. And, uh, we're sitting in his office in uh, probably the rectory. And uh, he goes, uh, so why are you here? And I'm like, you know, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm crying, trying to get words out. And I go, I, I, I don't know. I just, I just want God back in my life. And he reached over and he touched my heart and he said, God never left you. You left God. 
Mm-hmm. He's always been right here. God's in you. You let him out. You keep trying to let him in. And, uh, you know, I didn't get, I didn't stay sober, but that never left me because I, I, the freedom I felt, I walked out of there like, wow. You know, I mean, that was really impactful uh, for me mm. to have. Um, and, you know, in a way, Howard, I bet, I bet we we grew up kind of similarly where, you know, I always felt like I kind of knew right from wrong, even when I was doing wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so the idea that God is in everybody, that your higher power is something, not just, you know, I love the, the metaphors of the blocking, you know, things that block us from our higher power right. throughout the program. I use that a lot. I love it, but I really believe it's also uh, in us and we have to let it out. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when I practice the principles, I'm able to, to let it out. Uh, uh, you know, sort of an internal blocker. So, yeah, yeah the uh, sixth and seventh reminds me of the this idea that you know of a farmer that's you know tilling the soil and creating an environment where growth can take place, and then God grows something, right? Or yeah. a surgeon that you know uh, goes in and you know creates an antiseptic environment and moves things back to where they're supposed to be, and then sews up and God heals. You know, so we're 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 this this uh, vessel in six and seven to say, okay, wh- wh- what would you like removed? And and okay, let then ask. But it isn't until you take a look and and bring it back to your heart and say, this I can no longer control. This I have to trust God to to heal. And uh, is there something like that as you you know we're reading Drop the Rock or you know going through you know your character defects that you know just stands out and says, okay, this I wouldn't give to God. And now I know I have to. Well, I, I will tell you that, uh, I had, I had, uh, I had done six and seven. I had sponsored people and I had, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I was fairly sober, uh, whatever that was at the time. Um, and I remember reading and I probably read it for the 20th time, but reading it for the first time that it stuck reading, God does not remove those defects which we can remove ourselves. Mm. <laughs> so, I, as I said, I traveled for a living, and so there's certain, you know, certain things you did. I used to, I used to sneak smoking on the on 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 the road, mm-hmm. not at home. I mean, talk about beautiful addict behavior, right? I don't smoke. You don't know I smoke, which means I don't smoke, right? <laughs> and so. Uh, I can remember getting to the Charlotte airport, CLT, if you fly United, uh, uh, US Air, which became American, you fly through Charlotte, CLT. You can go to LaGuardia, if you remember, Sully, Sully was flying from LaGuardia to CLT. You could fly that flight every hour down to Charlotte, from Charlotte to anywhere in the world, it was really cheap. I was going from Montclair to LaGuardia almost every, you know, a couple times a week. And if your plane's delayed and you're a smoker, and there's no smoking at the airport. Mm-hmm. You have to go through the front door, out security, go out to the front like an animal, and then come back through security and run to catch your plane. And I can remember, you know, going through this exercise thinking, is this sober? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it, for real? And, and by the way, it's AA. It's not Smokers Anonymous. I'm not putting it down. I'm saying for me, I was like, I feel like a lap rat. You know, and I, uh, I, I, I stopped and what's amazing is I can check into a hotel anywhere in the country 
go to an airport anywhere in the country where I don't know if I've been there before. You know how I know if I've been there? I step out and I go, I've been here. Exit over there. You can smoke over there. Hmm. And I haven't smoked in 10 years. Okay. More. And I'm like, wow, that is insidious. So yeah, there's, there's been a number of things. That's, that's one example where I I was like, I need help with this. Mm -hmm. This is just not going away. You know, and I, you know, a lot like uh, the principles of of stopping drinking. Once I had a moment of clarity, you know, yeah, asking for help. So when I was, I can't think of five years, four or five years, I was having chest pains and I decided, let me go get a stress test done. You know, 27 years old, and I'm in the middle of Illinois, and and this is we do not have the cardiac technology we have today. Uh, but I go and get a stress test because I've been having a little, you know, and I thought it was, you know, maybe it's gas, maybe it's something. Um, and and you know, so I go on the stress test, and uh, I'm going through it. I'm walking. Um, I'm done with it, you know, and they're about to bring me to scan, and I, and I pass out. Uh, and turns out when I got back up, when I woke up, uh, everyone's surrounding me and there's tubes in, in me and, and I, I didn't know what happened. Well, uh, it was explained to me that I flatlined, that I, I, I passed out and I flatlined for like 13 seconds or something. Uh, and I had on a body experience and I, I could go into those details, but what did, you know, when they, they had to, uh, put me in an ambulance to another hospital because they didn't have the facilities there and. And the doctor was just, he wasn't ready for it at all. And, and he said, um, he said, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have to quit smoking. And I said, yeah, I know. And he says, no, 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 you understand. You know, this was October. And he says, you won't see Thanksgiving if you don't quit smoking. Uh, you know, and, and I was like, oh, he says, he says, you know, I could give some people patches. I can give them things. You, I can't give you nicotine because it's going to aggravate your heart. So you're done smoking. Um, unless you don't want to see Thanksgiving, he said, you know, and, and you're the only 27 year old I've had to treat in my whole career and you're not going to die on my watch. <laughs> so, um, you know, here I am a pack a day smoker thinking everything's fine. And, you know, the realization that this drug has turned my life upside down. You know, my parents had to fly down to where I was. And, you know, so I had finally, uh, done you know, addictive behavior that disrupted other people's lives to the point where everyone was scared I was going to die. Uh, so if that wasn't enough of a wake up call, like, like you're saying, yeah, is this behavior I want to continue? Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. I, I've had the, the, the gift of, um, I response. He was the, uh, head of, um, spiritual director of, uh, straight and arrow and uh, mm-hmm. and i have another commitment at uh, turning point and i'm always um and i love to go to those commitments because i know how hard those places are and um you know i'm always so fascinated when someone like i was who's really on you know on the balls of their ass because they wrecked everything the doctors are over and they're you're, you're almost dead and you know and in our case, coming in, AA, they're like, and you're going to need a spiritual program. And the guy's just like, well, hold on a minute. Hmm. Whatever you do, we're not going near that God thing. All yeah. right. I mean, you know, I may be a homeless addict here, but no God. And, hmm. and I, I think about 
the gymnastics that we go through in this program, the uh, you know the 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 six the six blind monks. I don't know why they're monks. You know the six blind monks. The they they all uh, uh, touch an elephant, mm, okay. and when they're done, they get an argument of what the elephant is, and one says it's a rope. He touched the tail, and yeah. one says. No, no, no. It's a hard, hard, like a, a club. You touch the tusk. And I was like, no, no, no. It's like a wall. It's just a, I was like, it's a big column. It's a big, what touched the leg. And, and so all of them had touched different parts of the elephant and all of them were right, but they were willing to argue how much the other guy was wrong, hmm. you know? And, and that, that helped me so much when I, that helped me realize, you know, I, why do I have to wait till it's till I'm at gunpoint for change, like mm-hmm. you with the cigarettes, right? What well, you know, I'm the only one that can benefit. When am I going to grow in my life where I make changes for my own benefit without having to wait until I no longer have a choice? Yeah, you know, yeah. and and I mean, almost more than anything, that's sober to me. Yeah, yeah. You know? Not waiting till the last minute. It'd be nice if I could not, do, doing, yeah. not waiting till you have no choice. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to stop eating ice cream the way that I eat it now until he says you can never eat ice cream again. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, steps, uh, eight and nine, your men's process, uh, you know, kind of where, where it started, maybe where it is today. Uh, you know, give us an idea of that. Yeah, sure. So, so you would ask me where I'm at. And I did tell you I was doing some eight, eight step work because mm-hmm. I have uh, um, a number of sponsees who are all in the same spot. And uh, remarkably, they're of a variety of, you know, one, one has six years, one has six months, one has 28 years. And, and we're all doing step eight again. And, um, uh, you know, in my original eight, like a lot of my original work was perfunctory, right? I'm going to get this done. And, uh, and now I'm done. You know, I I, I show you a a thing. I have my wall, a uh, chartered alternative investment analyst. I want um, diplomas, uh, Howard. I'm I'm always looking for a diploma so we can move on to the next thing. And uh, AA hasn't had diplomas and no finish lines. And, And so I did eight. And then when I really did eight, you know, when I got, the 12 and 12 has helped me so much to understand yeah. so much ancillary reading has, but the 12 and 12 for step eight, where it talks about personal relationships were almost always the cause for all of our woes, including our alcoholism. I remember reading that and saying, maybe they should have put that on the cover. You know, <laughs> I mean, if personal relationships are almost the, always the cause of all of our woes, including our alcoholism, maybe we should start there. And so I think eight is so much bigger than what I originally thought. Mm -hmm. This, this list, no field of investigation should yield more results. And that's Mm. my, you know, faith that that works is dead. The, uh, you know, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. All of these things are true. And so eight is my chance to say, okay, do you do three in your life? And do, did you do four, five, six, and seven to the extent where you know the things that have caused you the most pain and you don't want to do that anymore? Uh, can we talk about that again before you get into running and saying you're sorry to someone? Mm-hmm. And so I love it. And I spend a lot of time on it as a chance to 
re-examine, you know, there should have been tremendous growth between four and the end of seven, right? Yeah. From the time I started writing down Larry S and the bowling party to what I get to in seven, I should be able to get to eight and say, yeah, Larry's no is not Larry S is not on that list, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I should be able to get to that. I should be able to get to that and say, hey, what can I draw from this? And by the way, that's when it's so funny, because you would think if you if you did such an exhaustive four, you certainly wouldn't need to add more names to it, an exhaustive eight if you did your exhaustive four. I have to bring up LaGuardia again. I came up with this LaGuardia rule, Howard, where I was flying out there. I was running out there. Like, I'd always take the first plane, 536, so I'd leave Montclair at, like, 410. Mm-hmm. You know, I could get there in 29 minutes, believe it or not, at mm-hmm. 4.30 in the morning. And But the funniest thing happened to me. The first two years I was doing that, I got out of my car a few times, and I saw across the parking lot or in the airport somebody from my past that I used to work with, or I thought that was them. And I remember backing up. Instead of calling out, Richard, I was... I think I'll go to the bathroom and I was avoiding people. Right. And I found, I'm like, well, what do I owe that guy? Why am I afraid to see him? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the shame and embarrassment? I mean, I said that I had a shame and regret knapsack and six and seven were me about taking that knapsack off and eight and nine are about pulling the bricks out and addressing them. And, and so I, I started the LaGuardia rule which was anybody you can think of in your life that you don't want to run into needs to be on eight. Hmm. You're going to get to them in nine. Nine is not eight. We're just doing eight. Hmm. And so I, I, my eight, I mean, it's kind of funny. Five and nine, I think, take a lot less time to discuss and go through than four and eight. You know, I, I think that the preparation is so much more important uh, obviously the great stories are in nine when you get to do your amend, you know, the mm-hmm. five, you know, the, the stories of, uh, I didn't, I told somebody something I thought I'd die with. Yeah. Oh, yay. You know, I think that, uh, eight, eight, and nine are, 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 you know, there's a reason the, the, the promises are at the end of nine. I spend a lot of time on eight with sponsees and with myself and I revisit periodically when I'm doing it with a sponsee, I always review it myself because if no field of investigation can yield more results, why would I be afraid to relook at it? And I don't want to say I didn't do it to the best of my ability, but I will say I find myself growing and my definition of everything changing as I get more sober. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, making that list and becoming willing to make amends that internalization, that digestion of, if I see this person again, I'm ready. You know, I know what to say. It just I had, like you said, that preparation. Whether they say ninety percent preparation, ten percent presentation, or some kind of, you know, uh, perspiration. Yeah, right. yeah. So that it's it's a, it's a skewed. It's not fifty fifty. And uh, you know, there's there's ones there's people on my list that okay, I I haven't been able to get to them face to face. If they show up, if we. If, you know, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. And the real word is I'm clean. I'm like, yeah, I, I know, I, I know what I did and I know that I'm willing to repair. Uh, and when I'm given up the opportunity, 
I, I welcome it now. But like you, I was like, well, can it wait? Oh, sure it can. Depends, you know, uh, if you want to just continue to hurt everybody that loves you, uh, keep doing that. That's fine. You can wait. Sure. What? What? Yeah. That, that, yeah. that was the consequence of waiting, is the continuing to do the behavior because I excused it because I could wait. And that's where I got caught up because most of my amends were actually for my behavior and sobriety. Uh, you know, when I've been sober, you know, 60% of my life at this point, um, you know, I, I no longer have the excuse of, well, when I drank, that's why I behaved that way. No, no, I was, you know, 37 years old and, and a jerk. And that's why I behaved that way. I was selfish and I didn't care about your feelings. Uh, I wanted my way. And so I manipulated to get my way. And that was wrong. That, that, that's how amends look to me, you know, today. Um, and it's very humbling, but cleansing at the same time. Yeah, that that that's uh you know I, I I love what you said there the freedom, um, you know, get, getting right with others never never something I thought I'd do I I will tell you last January um, I went I met a friend in a bar, it's a restaurant too, uh, near my house. There's a friend of mine who's my age. He's got 34 years sobriety. And we're both big college basketball fans. Mm -hmm. And we both go to, we're season ticket holders for a local team. And we go, and we meet once or twice a year for lunch. We both work from home. I don't work anymore, but uh, we'll meet for lunch to talk about the upcoming season. And then again, mid-season, sure. right? Seton Hall basketball. Yep. And neither of us went there, but we love college hoops. And so we go into uh, this place right here in town. And I get there early and I look up and I catch my breath. The bartender was a landlord I had of an apartment I rented in the late 80s into the early 90s. When I left that place, Howard, I was throwing hand grenades over my shoulder. I was suing him. He was suing me. He stole my washer and dryer. Mm. I kept security. It was, it was just hair, teeth, and eyeballs, right? Everywhere. Because yeah. I was a horrible, you know, lousy drunk. Yep. And... Um, and I sat there and I said, this guy was never on eight. Yeah. He certainly didn't make nine. But how do I sponsor guys and tell them about the LaGuardia rule and why, and not do this and say, I owe this guy to men. So I waited right then. The bar was filled. And I said, next time we come, I'm going to come even earlier. I'm going to book this for an 1130. So when he's still doing the ice and cleaning up, hopefully he'll be there. Yeah. And uh, we booked it three months later, and that's exactly what I did. And it was last January, right before COVID. I walked in, and um, you know, I was a gift. The guy was the bartender. By the way, he's sixty-two. He's been a bartender there for the last thirty-five years. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he was there, and I got to walk up and say, "Hey." Dave, and he said, yeah, I go, you remember me? And he's like, uh, from what? I'm like, oh, man, I'm so impactful. <laughs> and and so I got to say to him, yeah, I, I rented your house. I go, I know you live there again now. It's like, yeah, 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 I remember you. I'm like, yeah. And I got, boy, I, I wasn't in the best days of my life. And yeah. I, I wish I had been a better tenant. I know I was a bit of a dick. And uh and I said, and I have to tell you, I, I've gotten to know about you and your family. I know people in town, people say nice things about you. And it's made me feel even worse. And <laughs> right. he said, 
I have no idea what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and that, that was fine. That didn't matter. What mattered was that I was burdened by it, but he said it, but I really appreciate you saying thanks. And, uh, it's so funny. I hadn't seen that guy in so long. Howard, since I did that, I've seen him four times. Right. Right. And now every time I see him, it's like, Dave, Andy, it's like, Hey, I can't believe it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not hiding. Right. A chance and to I, connect instead of a void. Yeah. It's so crazy. It's nice. I'm like, I can't believe how much I run into this guy. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's great stuff. Um, so, so I'd like to move into, uh, uh, some of the background stuff we talked about with the, the idea that, um, you know, I said that, you know, what, what hurts me more in my recovery is not what I don't know, but the things I thought I knew for certain and found that I was wrong. And, uh, you had, you had some, some good stuff to say about that. And I'd like you to share that with the audience, please. Um, well, first of all, I didn't know that the biggest problem I had was, uh, was going to be in shattering, um, you know, this, this illusion that I created for myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I was going to have to, um, if I were to, if somebody were to say to me, what do you get out of AA besides not drinking? I would answer, my answer would be, well, if you do it all and you're really lucky and, and you enter it as a practice, mm-hmm. practice these principles, then you might be able to get what I've received, which is voluntary humility. And for me, there's only been two kinds, forced humility, voluntary humility. And, uh, you know, this idea of voluntary humility is so life altering in Mm. that it can't be achieved, but it can be received. Right. Hmm. So if I'm practicing the principles and not exercising my normal behaviors, thoughts, and inclinations, um, despite my every effort over time, all of a sudden I can achieve this, this grace that comes with, um, you know, with voluntary humility, you know, mm-hmm. that, I, I, I was reading this book when I stopped drinking, I had to read because I couldn't sleep. <laughs> and my twin brother gave me these books on, he has a book of every president's biography. So I took one of uh, Bobby Kennedy, not a president, but um, I remember that Bobby Kennedy, um, when his, uh, when the night Martin Luther King was died, Martin, Rob, Bobby Kennedy was in Indian, Indianapolis he went downtown to speak to the people because the streets were aflamed and the chief of police of Indianapolis said, we're not going to cover you. Don't go down there. It's not safe. He goes, I'm going. He went down. He stood in the back of a pickup truck. People gathered around. He said, you might not think that I know what you, how you feel today, but I lost my brother. If you don't recall, I do know how you feel. My brother was shot, shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, my favorite poem is an Aeschylus poem. A Silas, I don't know. I'm not big on my Greek poets, but <clears throat> the poem is pain, which even in our sleep we cannot forget, 
falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair and against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Mm. And the reason why you're like, well, Andy, why would you memorize that poem? And I'm like, I'll tell you why I'll memorize that poem. Because the last line of the poem is wisdom through the awful grace of God. And when I got here, I didn't know what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. I knew that I couldn't drink anymore, but I was so scared of everything, mm. of what life would be without that. I'd never known a life without it. Even when I stopped drinking, I never thought that I wasn't going to be drinking. So I wasn't living a life of someone that didn't live that illusion. Mm. And so now I was sober. That's what I mean by the definition difference. But um, this wisdom to the awful grace of God, it was through this pain that, you know, that I got this wisdom. And from that wisdom, I don't have to live that any way anymore. And so this peace comes over me. And this peace is the only grace I've ever known. And so grace, which in my mind was a ballerina hmm. or some, you know, some mythical mystic type thing is hmm. not that at all. Grace was something that was earned through pain. And I don't mean like I've been through a war. I mean, I've got the gift of experience. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to, um, I don't need any more if I don't want it. Uh, that doesn't mean I, I don't do that. But the fact is, I, um, I think that probably one of the biggest gifts I've gotten from the program is this concept of grace and how much I like it. Mm-hmm. And how much uh, I I find it so peaceful to uh, I can't define it, but I know it when it comes. Sure, you know I certainly can identify it. You know, and um, and so I I, I I've got this uh, you know it's not an objective, Howard. You know, it's not like I'm going to try to get me some grace. You know, <laughs> yeah. But it, it certainly has been a, um, a benefit of, of the program for yeah. me. Um, and I don't know if that's a, an appropriate um, direct response to your question. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. Uh, I, I, I like to think of it, you know, that uh, it's like the patina of my recovery. You know, patina mm. is the, you know, you look at this old, you know, kind of antique thing and it, it looks old, but really it, it, it's it's got this you know covering of time and and you know that that's that's how my recovery has has evolved is that's why I like that word so much it's just and it's like oh you're you're old you're wise like uh, I, call, I like to call it patina you know it's it's a yeah, little you know, it's a little it's, bit weathered it's a little bit wisdom but it's really you know it isn't out of virtue it's out of pain um, and today I'm much better about learning my lessons out of virtue but it's still I still have to get to that last moment of just about to yell somebody or chase them down the highway and like, oh, maybe I should just let them go and pray for them that they get to where they need to be safe and, and happy and just get off at my exit. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I don't always do it. But sometimes I punch the, the steering wheel, you know, and, yeah. and, and I'm embarrassed and I can't believe I got there again. And I know that because I did 
you know, I did enough, I've spent enough time on the program. I know what the root cause of that is. Yep. Why do I take traffic personal? Right. I mean, <laughs> there's 180,000 people trying to get through the Lincoln Tunnel and I'm taking it personal. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, because I spend so much time drinking that I've built up, well, I don't have a retirement. I've got to get in there. I've got to get to work. You don't understand. You don't understand. If I were to write a book, Howard, one of the chapters would be titled, You Don't Understand. I mean, first of all, the book would be titled Curb Appeal. Uh-huh. Okay. By yep. all means. But one of the chapters would be, You Don't Understand. Because as soon as I say, You Don't Understand, I've gone right to, I'm different. Mm-hmm. Whatever you tell me, discount it immediately because I've already told you you don't understand. Yep. Right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and 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 you know, look, I go like you said. You know, sometimes you can get off on the exit, and I do that most of the time. But sometimes I don't. Man. Yeah. Because my sometimes I, my chapter would be, I know that. I know that. Yeah. That that's yeah. Uh, the one that. Oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Another chapter is titled, um, I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. Right. Right. As soon as <laughs> yeah. and then, you change. And then I'm going to make it in, I'm going to be, I'm going to make it in audio book. So, so I can do the chapter. What about me? What, what right. about me? Yeah. Just, and it all it is is 40 minutes of you crying. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned a little bit uh, earlier uh, about being diagnosed with MS and sometimes treating it, sometimes not. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know when that happened and and you know uh, you know were you sober? You know, what, how did it affect your sobriety and your recovery? And because uh, there's other people out there, you know, we, we all have other things outside of alcoholism and drug addiction. So so sure. I think I think it'd be important. Sure, and uh, you know it's it's another chapter. It's it's what I got. We all get something like you just said. Uh, I had, um, you know, unfortunately, I, I mean, I, I always have to treat it. I'm on medication for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I did mention I eat ice cream. So I'm, I, I, if I want to do myself a favor, I cut down on the dairy, the sugar and the gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and anybody with rheumatoid or psoriatic arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis or any kind of autoimmune uh, would also benefit from that. And um and and that's what I had, you know. I I I had uh, I had an L five S one disc. They wanted to do surgery. I said no. And then I said, then they said it's psoriatic arthritis. It's all over your body. And they kept taking MRIs and giving me different medications. But I was sober, so I was on the road. But I was feeling it, you know. Yeah. But I, I was I was working hard. I was running. I was running. I was coming all my geez, man. I am getting old fast. And. <laughs> And so finally, I, I got diagnosed with another uh, two herniations in my cervical. And so they said, we're going to do a surgery. And I finally said, all right, fine. I can't take it anymore because I couldn't feel my right arm. Mm. And um, it was tingling. It was numb. Still is. But now I know what it is. So it's not as crazy. But uh, and so they took an MRI, one more of my brain, because the surgery was going to be at the top stem of my spine. And they, uh, they found three lesions, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what multiple sclerosis is, sclerosis being a scar or a lesion. And, um, and you know, and, and they said, we think you have MS. I'm like, oh, you know, 28-year-old girls could have MS. I'm a 56-year-old man. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. and, uh, 
um, turns out 56 year old men could get MS too. <laughs> so, uh, so they, they, they verified it through, through a spinal tap, which was not easy. And, and, and I got MS and, and, and I lost some use of my right arm and my right leg in the process. And, and, and those vacillate, the arm has never come back, but, uh, but it flares up and your whole body swells. And so I made a decision last December when I got it in, in November, I made the decision in December to go out on, on, on a temporary disability. Okay. And I've had many sponsees over the years where they've told me they're getting disability. And I've always told them, if you get disability, you'll never get sober. You know, <laughs> and, and, and that's not what I was thinking of. I was like, I'm temporarily going to give this some thought and, um, uh, and I'm going to take some time off because I kind of been struck by lightning mm-hmm. and, uh, and I took off and, um, you know, and I, I was uncomfortable because I built up this business. Uh, as I mentioned, four days a week on the road, 17 years doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was making a lot of AA and uh, I was home. I found out that I don't know where the light bulbs are in my house. I don't know how to work the washing machine or the dryer. I've never run the dishwasher. For 17 years, four days a week, I've been on the road. I have done nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. You know, Mr. Humble, sober, arrogant prick knows nothing about his own house. Excuse my <laughs> language. So anyway, I um, I was struggling in the first few months badly. And uh, so doctors every week. Uh, but anyway, I... Um, I decided to make it permanent. You know, I was in a position to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to worry about my health. And so I was, m- my real concern, Howard, was I'm a thousand feet from Upper Montclair train station. I can hear the trains when they come in. So I can hear the trains going to New York all morning. You know, if you take a day off of work and you're working, you hear a train, you feel guilty. Remember the mm-hmm. old drinking day? You probably do. The other thing is, Newark's right here. I can watch the planes because I'm at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. I can watch the planes line up and land, mm-hmm. you know, every thir- 37 seconds or 42 seconds. And and I was so afraid, like, I'm going to be sitting here listening to trains and watching planes all day. I'm going to blow my brains out. <laughs> and I made the decision to uh, go on disability in March. And then the whole world decided to stay at home with me. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and so... I used to open my closet and say, are you really never going to wear these suits again? And the answer to everybody is no one's ever going to wear those. Suits right, again. Right. So, um, so, you know, the, the MS has just been something that happens. It, it has, stuff happens to everybody, uh, whether they're sober or not, you know, when I'm sober, I can, you know, I can take care of it. I can, I won't say I can handle it. I'm done managing things and handling things. Uh-huh. Okay. For me, those are bad words. Control. All I know is, um, I can get through it, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to make me drink. MS ain't going to kill me. Um, you know, and you know what else, uh, because I'm not working, it's freed me up to spend a lot of time, uh, thinking about other things, mm-hmm. sober things, you know, reading things I've always wanted to do. Mm. Uh, in some ways it's been an unbelievable gift. Hmm. 2020 in the weirdest way might've been the best year of my life. Wow. MS pandemic. Don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody getting resentful. I'm 
might have the best year of my life. Wow. Yeah. Don't look now. Huh? I, 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 2021. I mean, let's, let's turn it up. See what happens. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, how bad could it be? Yeah. I mean, look, eventually we're all going to die. Yeah. You know, there's, there's two fears in life, mortality fear and financial fear. Most guys don't realize the emphasis they put on financial fear and the various areas in our life that it really makes us complete assholes. <laughs> and it, inv it, it invades everything. Yeah. And finally, when you get to mortality fear, you figure, you finally figure out, boy, I wasted a lot of time on financial fear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm okay that, you know, someday I'm going to die. You know, yeah. I don't think it's going to be today. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, um, me and everybody else, you know, and so it's not 9-11. You better start living. We could be dead. No, 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 no. I was 180 degrees wrong. It's you should be enjoying every minute and helping people. You've yeah. got the gifts. Why aren't you helping other people? And so, uh, you know, whether it's kids, my wife, friends, any way that I can be of a benefit to someone that I love, um, you know, that's the only, it's the only place that I found any peace. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this year has been particularly challenging from, uh, I, I teach high school and, uh, we're, wow. tr we're trying to do it in person. And so there's masks, there's, we do testing, we do a lot of things that, uh, just added to the day and responsibility and frustration. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, trying to show up as best I can. And it's not my best. When, when I say that, like, yeah. oh, I know I can do better than this, but I'm just restricted by uh, technology because I'm, I'm not normally in this room and this screen doesn't work. And this, so I feel like I'm doing a lousy job because I know I can do a better job, right? And as this is going on and I'm like, I, I'm ready to like, this is, if this is the way teaching is now, I'm done. I can't, you know, just at my wits end. And uh, just as I'm trying to like settle that in my mind and be okay and go with the acceptance. I get a letter from a student a few weeks ago um, and the, it, the title and it was appreciation. And she writes to me saying, you know, how much she appreciates what I do and my style and all these things. And I was like, oh, okay, that's why we push forward. It isn't for ourselves. You know, it is right. so someone else can say, thank you. I didn't know I could push myself. And, you know, I saved that email because uh, in a week, a month, whatever, I'm going to forget. And I got to go right back to that where I save my emails, um, which I actually have a little, um, what's it called, a little subfolder in my email. Yeah. And it's labeled why I love it here. Awesome. Uh, and and because, because I have to go in there, and there's about 300 emails in there, you know, from yeah, faculty, from parents, from students, and to remind myself, because... You know, there's 300 reasons to, to, to why I love it here because I can come up with about a thousand of why I hate it here, you know, whatever it is. Before you get out and, of bed. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, again, that's an exercise I decided to do for myself. It was, you know, again, the, the voluntary humility because I know my capacity to just spin out of control and just start to hate once again, you know, and be right back in second grade. And it's just, it's, it, it's not for me anymore. Can't live that way anymore. Oh, that's great. That's a great story, Howard. That's what I mean, what a gift to have somebody take the time and do that, knowing that you're having an impact. Yeah. 
um, you know, a positive impact at a time where, I mean, who's getting run over more in life right now than high school kids. Yeah. I hate this COVID for what's these poor kids. They're, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I remember those days, those days were the greatest days of your life. Yeah. I mean, it's costing them socially at a level that, uh, you know, is, it's visceral. We don't, we're not going to see evidence till years from now. And, you know, and what she said in there and, and was that, you know, cause I teach science and she's in 11th grade and she said, you know, for the past couple of years, I didn't think I was any good at science and your teaching style proved that I was wrong because she is doing awesome. very well in science. And again, it was just different styles. I don't think anything bad about those teachers. It's just that I, you know, my style fits for her and, you know, thank goodness I, 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 I got her in, in the rotation. Like she could have been with a different teacher this year. I don't, you know, whatever. And I, you know, I don't control any of that. And, you know, to know that, um, you know, she found a, a, a home, so to speak, within, within the science class. And she's thinking about going on in science now. I mean, she just didn't know <laughs> she was good at it. And I don't know. I, I it's, it's, awesome. uh, yeah, it's an amazing thing when, again, when we grow up, you know, we, the alcoholic and the, and the, the, the drunk and, and become adults and become available to people. And, uh, you know, and, and, and again, that was a up, uphill climb. That wasn't, oh, I started teaching and was wonderful at it. It was, no, I wasn't. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, one of the things I, I like to talk about with my guests is um, a book that they like that, that uh, enhanced their recovery. And you gave me a list of them. And I'm going to pick one because uh, I read sure. I read the book too. Um, back when I was, uh, well, I read it when I was turned 40. Um, and the guy uh, who suggested to me, uh, I was 25 when he suggested it and I didn't read it till I was 40 and I was really upset about that. But, um, the spirituality of imperfection. Can you talk yeah. about that book? Yeah. My sponsor gave it to me. He gave me all those books and that was an early one. I mean, that was probably, uh, uh, more than 10 years ago, but the, what I really like about it is in, uh, accepting, um, Accepting, you you just told a wonderful story of helping someone, you know, um, you had a demonstrable response to something that you did that was right. And and you and I both can talk about how imperfect we were to get here, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I I only got here because I was supremely imperfect, right? (laughs) Right. I had to be a colossal imperfection to, to finally get this. And, um, and that, you know, I have some adult, adult children and they asked me to talk to people that are struggling with alcoholism or addiction every now and then. And I spoke to one recently and, you know, this guy hasn't lost anything Mm -hmm. and he, um, which is great, you know, good for him. And, and I spoke to him and, and, you know, I don't know how much pain he's been in to change right. based on my conversation, which might be completely unfair. I'm just trying to be objective. And, and to me, the spirituality of imperfection was, um, was, was kind of goes back to, 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 to humility, you know, not voluntary humility. It starts out with humiliation. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I had to find this spirituality and it was, 
because I was such a flawed human being that I got it. And that spirituality has been, you know, has been the key to all of my freedom, mm-hmm. you know, to everything, every, all peace in my life has come through that imperfection and how much as a perfectionist, I would rather not try something than try it and fail. So what would I do? I would blow it up. Mm. You right, talk completely. about leading jobs. You talk about getting fired. You can get fired from any of them. You got rid of them. You know, we all did. I'll be such a dick. They'll fire me. I'm like, yeah, you got rid of it. Stop saying you got fired. You know, I, I did this all the time. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, she broke up with me. Nope, that didn't happen either. You got rid of her. It was coming on Christmas. You didn't want to buy her a gift. Yeah. Or it was a birthday or Valentine's Day. Whoa. Anyway, I, um, I love the book. Uh, there's a number of great books that I've read, uh, but that one in particular kind of really, it helped me uh, embrace who I am Yeah, and, and be okay with it. Yeah. I, I, uh, what I liked about it was, is he uses the word that flawed rather than stupid yeah. or wrong or, right. and when he, when he uses that word, I was like flawed. Like, you know, I, I have a, a 2016 Highlander and it's flawed, you know? It's, it's got a little scratch here. It's got, a, it runs. I mean, it does, it's great. The yeah. heat works. It's got all the, you know, Bluetooth and all these things. And it's like, but it's flawed. It functions and does what, and, and I just, it was like, what for me, welcome to the human race. Welcome to the yeah. rest of us who are flawed as well. And what, what a relief to have to stop working so hard to put on, you know, the, like I said earlier, the masquerade that there's nothing wrong. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, the beginning of the book, when he talks about baseball and life is, is the other thing yeah. I love when he says, you know, in every other sport, um, or sorry, baseball is the only sport where errors are in the scoreboard, right? Every other sport, you know, you got, you got you know, quarters, you got time, you got, yeah. but there's no yeah. penalties up there. There's no, only in baseball. And he says, because errors are part of the game. And, yeah. I love that. And I'm like, oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah, get Howard, that. I talk about the Polaroid of, uh, you know, I talked about the shame and regret knapsack that, that yep. you know, that I invented, and the bricks, but yep. there's also uh, my Polaroids of failure, which I kind of got from the spirituality of imperfection, uh-huh. which are, uh, you know, I had to watch it because I would take these Polaroids of failure of here I am failing out of college. Here am I, here I am having a <laughs> right. child at 20. Here I am. And, and then saying, look, this is me. This is why I'm going to fail. This is why I'm going to continue to fail the rest of my life. As opposed to getting the grace from the experience, but also recognizing the spirituality of imperfection is it's a film, not a Polaroid. Stop taking pictures of your flaws and saying that's who you are. That was yesterday. What's tomorrow? You know, it taught me so many things or it helped me put together so many concepts that were coming my way in the following years. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really, uh, I got a lot out of that book. Yeah. It's, it's like you go into someone's home and, and they got a, a picture of that their, their four-year-old drew of a dinosaur. Right. And, and you're looking at this and it's like, oh, that's, that's, you know, well, the, the tooth is coming out of that. You know, and you're, you know, as an adult, you're looking at this thing, whatever. And, and, you know, and the four-year-old's looking at it, he's real proud and everything. And, and another four-year-old comes over to him and says, dude, that's an awesome dinosaur. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's because because that's yeah, where they yeah. are. Like that's no that. And it's like it's my adulthood that sometimes messes up my my uh, not, not you know my childlike way, not childish, but childlike. Yeah. I know I want everything to 
innocent. Yeah, right, right. And and so that book allowed me to just say, lighten up. Not on just yourself, but everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about the scoreboard. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's a great reminder for me that, you know, another thing I like to say is, you know, there's no bumps in the road. That's the road. You know, navigate, navigate. (laughs) Accordingly. Yeah. All right, so we're uh, we're kind of wrapping things up here. Is there anything that uh, you that I left out that you'd like to talk about, and you know, use no. the platform to? No, I, I'd like to. I would like to end it with one um, one brief story sure. about what about AA recovery in general. Why do people get sober? And um, I thought it was about drinking. You know, I thought it was about drugs. Um, and uh, and I I got here and uh, I had, I had hurt my family badly, and and my son is eight years older than my daughter, so I'd hurt him much more than her because she got to grow up in a largely sober household. He did not. And when I went back out drinking in '03, I had been drinking, but now I was drinking at home. Wheels are off. I uh, he was home and he caught me. And my wife and daughter were away. And he told me that night, he's like, I remember this guy. He hadn't seen this guy in a long time. This guy had been drinking on the road. And I don't, he said, I don't want my sister to have to see this guy. I'd like to kill this guy. Hmm. We're having an argument. He's thinking, I should just take a knife and kill this guy because I don't want my sister to have to live to. Because he he lets people down. He lies. He's, he's, he's undependable. He doesn't come home. He's, you know. And he didn't do that. He called a brother of mine. He came and got me. Two months later, I got sober. And when I was 10 years sober, uh, I'd uh, built up a wonderful life. uh, And I was sober. And he came to see me, my son, and um, on Christmas at my house. And he said, do you have a minute? I want to talk to you. And I said, sure. What's up? He's like, well, you've told me, um, Dad, that uh, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you the character of a man. I said, yeah, I've said that. I said, you should be advised that my five closest friends are in AA. You know, <laughs> they're out, they're alcoholics. And he's like, and he laughed. And he goes, well, I've been giving this up, that some thought. And I want you to know that you're my role model and you're my closest friend. And, you know, you get here and you go to whatever rehab or prison or whatever, you see the guy's faces and you were one of them. So it resonates with you. And you think about your job and you think about your wife, you think about the law, you think about the money and you think about these things and you go to these meetings and nobody tells you, I mean, nobody can articulate what I just described, Mm. you know, the feeling that I just got. No one could tell me that. I had to live it. I had to experience it. And when it happened, there's nothing in the world I wouldn't have done to get that. Mm. That's the best gift I ever got in my life. 10 years in, even if it was 20, I'd say the same thing. And so it's so hard to tell a new guy, you know, that you don't, don't sell yourself short on what might happen. The debt will probably clear up. The legal things will probably go away. You're probably going to be wanted by someone, (laughs) you know, you probably, if you want it, you know, but that's not what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to happen. You know, like the letter you received, the gifts are, um, they're, 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 you know, 
you can't you can't predict and uh that's been my experience which is why i love aa which is why i can't tell you how much i appreciate an opportunity like this today so thank you yeah thank you well yeah thank you uh thank you andy for for opening up to us today and uh this has just been a a very good experience for me as well just uh you know getting to know you and hear your story thank you thanks howard talk soon We have come to the end of this episode of the Seasons of Sobriety podcast. I trust that you were able to identify with the personal story of our guest and perhaps apply some of their experience to give you the hope needed to persevere through your own journey. If you'd like to contact the show, please send an email to podcast at seasonsofsobriety.com. The email address can be found in the show notes. This podcast has been completely self-funded. If you believe today's episode has been beneficial, I ask that you either contribute a little extra this week to your home group or another organization close to your heart. Until next time, remember, if you have trouble practicing the principles of the steps in all your affairs, you may have too many affairs.